we're in a series of sermons called Practicing Resurrection, and since I've used that title before, this is Practicing Resurrection 2.0. It's such a great description of really what our day-to-day life is like in Jesus Christ as we seek to follow the risen Lord and wonder where he is and what he's saying and how he's going to invite us to life in a particular day. And so we practice resurrection. We live into that resurrection. And we're looking at stories in scripture that explore how the early church responded to Jesus' resurrection, how how they lived into it, how they faced that question of how do we follow this risen Lord when we do not find ourselves in his physical presence. And so we've looked at the story of the road to Emmaus and talked about the discussions that we have to have as we try and process what has happened in and through Jesus Christ, uh, that sort of theological work that we do as we practice resurrection. We've talked about the dismay that we feel when it becomes clear that God is not who we thought God was and has acted in a very different way than we expected God to act and how we have to deal with that with one another and support one another in that dismay. And today I want to talk about something that really has to do with discernment. How do we make decisions in light of this fact that Jesus isn't there in the room telling us what to do? How do we engage in a process of discernment? And the story in Acts 1, the choice of Matthias as the 12th apostle, replacing Judas, who is now dead, as the story is told to us, and as Luke tells this story, is the the text that we want to look at today. And so that's Acts 1, verses 12 through the end of the chapter. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet. This is right after the ascension of Jesus in Acts. So they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, Together, the crowd numbered about 120 persons. And he said, friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field uh, with the reward of his wickedness and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle and all of his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language, Hakeldama, that is the field of blood. And that's, by the way, Luke's parenthesis around this. Luke is the historian who wants to give us context always. So what interesting context he's given us there. Uh, So he, now we pick up Peter's words again. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. 
So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. And then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the 11 apostles. Let's pray. Lord, help us to listen this day to your invitations to us. And calm us in those places where we are uncertain about our next step. And help us to find our source of confidence in your steadfast love. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You've probably already heard me say this, but I feel like it, on Ash Wednesday of this year, since I announced my retirement for next year, on Ash Wednesday, I entered my year of lasts. So a lot of reflection is going on for me now as I pass through this, this particular year and, you know, the, the last Ash Wednesday service, the last Easter service, and it's making me very reflective and all sorts of memories coming up. And I may get very boring over the next few months uh, as I live that out in front of you. And hopefully it's not, it's not too tedious for you. But there's a particular meaning associated with this text in that on my day of ordination uh, in October of 1982, my preaching professor, Ian Pitt Watson, drove up from Pasadena to Ventura and he preached at my ordination and his text was this text. I won't go into how I chose it for today, but that wasn't the reason I chose it for today. <laughs> his, his text was this text and his title was even more interesting. His title, and I remember it well, I don't remember the entire sermon, but I remember the title well. His title was Ordination and the Luck of the Draw. <laughs> it's a title that speaks to the complexity and often the uncertainty that we have around the matter of discovering what God's will is as we try to make decisions. That 25-year-old version of myself sitting there in that black Geneva gown with my academic hood on, wearing clothes that, that seemed like they belonged to somebody else, <laughs> sat there listening to this sermon, and I, I clearly felt like I wasn't sure what had happened or, or why I was there. But... It occurs to me now, and it occurred to me then, no doubt, that is this really about God's call? Or is it, is it just a really wonderful convergence of and appropriate response to time and circumstance, a, a match that seems to be right, and here we come together and, and celebrate that fact and thank God for it? Was the decision of the pastor and the the nominating committee, the session, because I was an assistant pastor, not an associate pastor, so the congregation didn't have to vote on me. That was a way to get rid of people quicker, I think, actually. <laughs> uh, 
they got rid of that when we rejoined with the Southern Church because the Southern Church didn't know that beast of associate of assistant pastor. So anyway, more information than you wanted. But um, <laughs> was it a matter of the convergence of all of these decisions and my agreement with them? And was that all that influenced somehow by the Holy Spirit? What is this all about? Well, I would imagine that some of the same thoughts were on Matthias' mind when he was chosen. And that might be total projection on my part because we don't really know what was on Matthias's mind. We know very little about Matthias, as a matter of fact, and I can't know what he was thinking. I can only know what I would be thinking if I were in his place. And it's true, what's true about Matthias is that he's kind of an obscure figure in the New Testament. This is the only place he's mentioned. Nowhere else but here in Acts 1. A church historian, an early church historian by the name of Eusebius said, oh yes, Matthias and Barsabbas were part of the 70 who were sent out by Jesus. How he knew that, I don't know, but that's what he says. And that story is told in Luke 10 of Jesus sending the 70. And he was someone with Jesus, which is what the other 11 wanted, someone who had been with Jesus and witnessed Jesus' work from the baptism of John through his ascension. And how they narrowed down the choice between Matthias and Barsabbas, Luke doesn't go into. He just presents us with the story as these two candidates are brought to bear and they decide, have to decide between the two of these and they pray that prayer in verses 24 and 25 and then they cast lots. Now, what does casting lots mean? The best way to put it is it's kind of like when you put several straws in your hand and they're of different lengths and the people who are going to be a part of the decision draw the straw and the person with the longest straw is the winner or the, the choice for that particular decision that's being made. In this case, it says lots, which are probably pebbles. They aren't dice like we'd find at the casino. They are pebbles that are probably of different sizes and shapes and colors. And in this case, you'd, you'd either have the constituents who were being tested uh, in this way, pull out one of the, the stones, or they would be thrown like dice are thrown and the way they landed would be interpreted as who God's choice was. And this was a common way of trying to determine the will of God in the Old Testament. You see it a lot. So, so Peter and the cohort of the other 10 are kind of following the way of discernment that they know to follow. You know, we would probably look at this today and say, well, this is an example of divination. This is kind of like a Ouija board in some ways, you know, it's sort of like moving that little thing around the board. And we all did as kids and some of us continue to do as adults, I suppose. But uh, it's kind of a, a pray the prayer cast the lots and see what happens. It's not unlike what you've seen, I'm sure, we've all had this experience and maybe even done it, where you have a decision to make and you kind of go, you open your Bible and go. <laughs> and read, the next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, here is the Lamb of God. You know, I mean, and you, you take that as some sort of indicator there, and then there's something else to figure out that the Spirit wants you to know. but. The point of all of this is not so much to sort of mock it or to roll our eyes at it, but to, to say that 
it's a thing that's not, we're not very aware of this sort of thing in, in our modern mind and kind of scoff at it, uh, to be perfectly honest. You look at this story and you say, why is this story here? Why is this story here? Why did Luke feel the need to tell us this story? But I love that this story is here. I love that this story is here. It, I don't think it's a literal description of how we should make decisions. Not at all. In fact, ancient commentaries going way back to Chrysostom, they kind of try and work with this, that same question. Why is this here? And they get a little uncomfortable with it. In Chrysostom, it says that this story is here because the Holy Spirit hadn't come yet. So they resorted to ways of making decisions that, that were what they were. And there are equally contemporary commentators that say this This is just a description of how the church was wrong. Paul should have been the 12th apostle and Matthias was just the wrong choice and we all make wrong choices. And so, you know, there's lots of congregations that think that about their pastor, uh, that uh, (laughs) the Holy Spirit wasn't in it. And uh, yeah, it's interesting too. You know, I work with a lot of new pastors and, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the pastor comes to the church and, and says, oh, it's just really God's call. Everything is lined up. We got a house. We love the congregation. We just think this is so perfect. And a year later, they're saying, I hate this place. <laughs> and then they have to grow through that to, to learn, learn what it means to be the pastor in that place rather than just accepting all of the accolades. And if the accolades aren't coming, then suddenly it's no longer God's call. (laughs) But I think this passage is here to remind us of an obvious truth. And it's hard sometimes, basically, to know the exact desire of God in some manners and in some matters. Whether or not there is a plan of God in all matters that confront us in life. It's hard to know that. Here are two guys, they're both upstanding, both qualified, and so the 11 get together and say, well, heck, let's just draw straws. (laughs) One of these guys, I'm sure, will be just fine for us. Let's just roll the dice. Yes, we want to know what God's will is, but how are we ever going to figure that out? Let's go with the best evidence before us and make the decision and move on. And maybe God showed them and maybe God didn't. But the lot fell to Matthias and Matthias was chosen and we never hear from Matthias again. (laughs) And either way, Either way, whether we heard from Matthias or whether he had something to contribute or not, the journey continued. And that's what the book of Acts is about. It's about the journey. Christ was proclaimed, the church grew, and irrespective of who or what Matthias was, Jesus was still Lord. I've already been doing this, but at the risk of doing it more, at the risk of sticking my fingers into a process that I'm not supposed to have anything to do with, namely the choice of my replacement, Successor, let me tell you a story that I think will help you. 
this is several years ago, I was in contact with a young man who was a recent graduate of Princeton, was putting his uh, PIF out there, and he got a response from one church uh, in particular that he said, I need to read you this letter because it's really making me angry. <laughs> I said, okay, it was a rejection letter. But the point of the letter that made him the angriest was this line, we do not believe God is calling you to this place at this time. It made me angry. I thought, you don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that at all. And you're basically shirking your responsibility of saying, you know, we don't think there's a match, which is far more uh, affirming to hear than we don't think God is calling you. And somehow we have the ability of knowing that in a way that you don't. They didn't know. And most of us can say at that point that we wouldn't know either. We just have to go with that sense that we think there's a match. I don't remember many of the specifics in Ian's sermon that he gave that day on my ordination. I imagine, however, and it's a vague memory, that it was something that was practical, like the word that is here, a, a practical word to the congregation and to me at that point, that in the fullness of time and in the luck of the draw, David, you're here, and you've come together with this congregation and are now in this pastor-congregation relationship. So keep your eyes open. Keep your trust in God and trust God to grow the relationship and see where God will take you. I want to close with the repetition of the line from Psalm 16 that rose read earlier for us. The psalmist talks about in the first four verses, taking refuge in God and, and remaining in that relationship, irrespective of those around who seem to defy that or don't understand that relationship. And he says in verse five, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot, God. And the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a, a goodly heritage. The boundary lines around every congregation are the boundary lines of the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the steadfast love of God and the, the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a big, big border in which to function and, and gracious and Though at times it, it might seem restrictive, those boundaries are like the sheepfold that Jesus describes where you come in and find abundance forevermore. It's clearly defined, but at the same time, it seems expansive when you're in it. The boundary lines fall in pleasant places because the big boundary is the one who was before all things and the one in whom all things cohere, Jesus Christ. And so as we face decisions we're not real sure about, we need to trust the fact that we're within those boundaries, within that embrace. And as we decide 
about where we need to take the leap and take that leap irrespective of, of what happens, we can do so with confidence because irrespective of what decision we make, Jesus will still be Lord. Let's pray. Help us trust in the truth that you have guided us into that broad and open space where the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. And then move us by your spirit, O God, to that place of joy and confidence, knowing that in life and in death, we belong body and soul, not to ourselves, but to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.